Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, episode 278. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and I'm so thrilled that you are here to join us today. I'm also thrilled to introduce our guest, Max Finn. Max is the co-founder of Unicorn Innovations. Max has a phenomenal background, and rather than me try to share it with you, I'm just going to ask Max, hi Max, to come on in and tell us all about himself. Awesome. That's a great place to start. Well, it's good to be here, Kim. I appreciate having a podcast and I appreciate getting the, you know, getting the bloopers and everything out early is good, right? Instead of starting off on on a perfectionist foot, make the mistakes early on and then you, you're ready to go. Um, oh, absolutely. So I, this is my, le- my least favorite part about doing podcasts or, or really any any type of talk is the the introduction just because it's very unnatural and, and strange to talk about yourself. And um, but I, I will do it nonetheless. So, you know, I've been an entrepreneur for, for 10 plus years uh, since college. I've been involved in the, the startup space, founded my first company while I was still in school. We raised several million dollars in venture funding. It was a, uh, a long tail kind of micro-influencer platform that allowed brands to incentivize the everyday customer and reward them for creating content and doing certain actions. So if, you know, Domino's was launching a new pizza flavor, new special, they can run a campaign on our app to like pay a dollar or a discount or some type of micro reward for people to take a photo, like a selfie with the pizza. And so we worked with a lot of big companies, Adobe, Domino's. We worked with a lot of local companies. It was very successful. We had about 500,000 users at our peak. And uh, the mobile app world has changed dramatically in the last, you know, since we were had this company back in 2011, 2012. So back then it was, it was all about organic. You couldn't really pay to do anything. So very challenging. We you know, had a pretty big team at the time, made tons and tons of mistakes, but we learned a lot. And what I learned towards the end of that company was you know, my passion really was all about um, digital marketing and, and more so the direct response aspect of it, of being able to uh, get the right message to the right person at the right time to convince them, motivate them to do something, whether it's buy something, like something, share something. It's, it's a really interesting phenomenon that you can do that. And I think people take it for granted as marketers, how powerful that is to be able to, to stop somebody in the tracks in Facebook and get them to click something and then pull out their credit card and purchase something um, when they didn't know about it five minutes ago. And and so that kind of put me down my, my journey of getting more involved in the direct response digital marketing world, e-commerce world. I started a, a, my first store called Startup Drugs right towards the tail end of the Daily 100, which is the name of my first startup. And it kind of took off out of the gate. We got really lucky on the organic side of things. Uh, we got found in this company called Product Hunt, which is a huge company now. Um, it was really early back then, but basically it, up, it lists like the top apps and startups, the community votes them in and they upvote them. So if you get the most voted app of the day or startup of the day, you get tons and tons of traffic. So we got like 30,000 people to our site in a week. And, uh, and that kind of took off and we still have that company. It's a lot of fun. It's basically an entrepreneurial lifestyle brand. So we make t-shirts and posters and canvases and all kinds of cool products for entrepreneurs and startup founders. Thank you for explaining what that was, because when I initially saw startup drugs, I was like, huh, 
I know the cannabis <laughs> industry is <laughs> is growing, but then when I saw what it was, I was like, "Ooh, I need yep. to check this out." So the the name always gets people. Um, it's it's really you know the, the funny thing is people ask me like, "Well, do you ever think about the implications of having drugs in the name and stuff?" I was like, you know, when I started the company, it was not supposed to be a company. It was. I was doing it for fun. I thought this would be like a fun thing. Maybe some of my friends would buy a t-shirt. I had no idea at the time that this would be a, a business five years from now that be, it would still be growing and we'd have you know customers like the Miami Dolphins and Russell Brunson and and Tom Bilyeu and all these huge people. But um, sometimes that that's how it goes usually. The things that you don't expect to be home runs end up being your most successful. So uh, just to fast forward to today, over the last kind of three years, I've been really involved in the agency world. Uh, Jeremy Adams, my partner, and I had a, a digital marketing agency with Kevin Harrington from Shark Tank. Um, we've known Kevin for a few years. We've been friends with him, business partners. We still do deals together today. But the the agency, we worked with some big companies like 3M and Sam's Club. We launched a lot of really cool, innovative products. And uh, that helped us get a two-comic-level award with ClickFunnels for building a million-dollar funnel for a single product. And we actually did $4.5 million dollars in about a four-month window with one of our products. And so that kind of put us on the map on the direct response world. And uh, flash forward to today, Jeremy and I have a company called Unicorn Innovations, which is a uh, kind of a hybrid company. We do a lot of customer acquisition, and then we also have an educational side of the business. So we run traffic for a select group of companies. They have to be usually doing high six figures and growing rapidly, or at least seven figures. And then we have a coaching and info product side of the business. We have our Facebook Ad IQ Academy, which is our Facebook course. Um, that is about 100 plus video training videos, 40 hours of content. We have 2,000 plus students in there. It's been a really, really fun experience. And the success of our first course inspired us to start building more of a robust training platform. So we're launching a lot of courses in 2018. We're launching Amazon courses, LinkedIn courses, basically bringing in the smartest people in the world that are experts on these topics to create these programs for business owners, entrepreneurs, marketers, and even companies at an enterprise level that want to take their, their marketing, their e-com stores, their businesses to the next level. So that, that's where Unicorn Innovations is today. That's where I'm at today. And it's, uh, it's exciting to get to share with lots of people. And hopefully today we get to talk to a lot of cool people that listen to the podcast. Well, thank you so much for that awesome introduction. Listeners, if you haven't listened to it yet, Jeremy, Max's partner, was on episode 258. So you can go back and listen to his episode at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP258. I didn't even think to ask him, Max, how did Unicorn, how did you come up with the name? My uh, my fiance actually came up with a name. So the uh, the the idea of having like a unicorn. So a unicorn is a term for a billion dollar company. It's a pretty, it's a very common term in Silicon Valley and in the tech world and startup world because that's been the term for the last fifteen years. Uh, I'm drawing a blank on her name right now, but she was a general partner at Kleiner Perkins, I believe. Uh, Ellen, I think it's Ellen, not Ellen Page. I'm drawing a blank on her name, but. Um, she came up with the term of a unicorn. Um, she's a venture capital investor um, a while back, and that kind of stuck. And so now that's what you call a company that that's valued at a billion dollars. So it kind of made sense that Unicorn IQ is like a billionaire IQ, a billion dollar company IQ. And uh, Unicorn Innovation is obviously the parent company on top of that. So it's a fun character. We got to have a fun mascot, which is awesome. We got to have fun branding. 
and it fits in with what our long-term goal is for both our company and the the people that we're teaching and, and running traffic for. I had no idea that that's what unicorn, like that there was that association because I see unicorn, I see entrepreneurs sharing images of unicorns all the time. And I always thought that it was actually about how original they are and how unique and let let me be a unicorn. And what well, is, so that that's the mythology. Uh, so the reason that, the, that word stuck with startups is that they're rare. So they don't exist, but if they did exist, they'd be incredibly rare. And a billion dollar company is a very rare thing. So the underlying definition and like mythology behind unicorns inspired the terminology that was used to explain these, these startups that are achieving this massive, massive status as a billion dollar company. Oh, fabulous. Learn something new every day. And it's Eileen Lee. I, I needed. I needed to make sure I gave the right credit. So Eileen Lee is the, um, the the woman who actually first termed the unicorn. Uh, they came with that idea for calling a billion dollar company unicorn. So I wanted to make sure I gave her the shout out as the originator. I have a feeling you just educated a whole lot of listeners, Max. I need to share that my first business was not intended to be a business either. I bought a scrapbooking magazine for my ex-mother-in-law that I was going to give to her for Christmas. It was six months before I was pregnant with my second child. And I I have to admit, I started looking through it. I wasn't even a scrapbooker, but I saw this cool, cool tool that I wanted. It was a die cutting tool and I just had to buy it. And it wasn't a lot of money. It was $75, but at that time, it was a lot of money, so I decided I needed to pay it off. So I started selling die cuts on eBay for a dollar or a dollar fifty, which was ridiculous because some of them took me two to three hours to make <laughs> six to twelve die cuts, and I was selling them for a dollar fifty. Wow! But I made all the classic mistakes that you could possibly make, including Google AdWords. I had no idea what I was doing when I set up my terms and I accidentally spent $800 in one day, which was, well, actually is more than a house payment where I live in Ohio. I, I just wanted to cry. It's amazing that that can happen. It's um, if, if you don't know what you're doing, you can easily spend a lot of money. That That's the easiest thing in the world to do is, is spend money on Facebook ads or Google ads or pretty much anywhere online. If they have your credit card, it, it's pretty pretty easy to, to spend money fast. I, I'm so happy to hear that your Facebook IQ, I've worked with so many clients and I've seen so many entrepreneurs out there who when they're asked, who's your ideal client? They say everyone. And I used to be one of those people as well when I started this round of business. The, the scrapbooking business never made me more than a quarter a day. That's how bad it was. <laughs> But when I started this business, I thought everyone was my ideal client as well. And I could never understand why my conversions were so low. It was because I just wasn't going after the right audience. And I've been listening to a lot of podcasts lately and people are talking about... Well, I can pick up over there. So let me, while you recover on that one, let me tell you. So the the amazing thing about most businesses, it's it's not unique. And if, you're, if your business falls in this category, you shouldn't feel bad about it. But when you're a new entrepreneur or a new business owner, your focus initially is, I need to make money. It's, I need to get customers. I need reoccurring sales. I need to pay the bills, especially if you're coming from a nine to five job. And now you're, you go your first month or two without a paycheck, people get scared. You know, I'm blessed in that I never had that. 
So from day one, since I was you know 19 years old, I've never had a consistent paycheck. So I'm used to it. Like it, it's nothing to me to to not have money for for a month or two. You you know you get used to that very fast. Fortunately, I'm, you know, no longer have to worry about money anymore. But for for that for 10 plus years, that was my my world. And a lot of people can't handle that, especially if you're coming from somebody with a safety net. So you end up taking any business that you can get, any client that you can get. And uh, the problem is that the the lower paying clients, the the people that are willing to write you a check and you know finagling with you and nickel and diming you and, and trying to get your price down, every ten times out of ten, those are going to be your most time intensive clients. What's what's amazing is that we've worked with some of the biggest companies in the world and some of the biggest people in the world. And so, with whether it's 3M or Pat Flynn or some huge figures we work with, those people require such a little handholding. They're such easy clients. They check in, you know, once a month, twice a month, maybe. There are no headaches. the The people that are paying way, way less are the ones that need daily updates. They're on you every day. Hey, we didn't make money today because they need that money. Like a thousand dollars, somebody that only has five thousand dollars in the bank. That's 25% of everything they have. I mean, 20% of what they have. So they're going to be really, really all over you. Um, so it's a, it's important while you're looking like at what type of clients you take on, what type of business I should take on to understand that just because it's easy money and just because you can be the lowest price option, get a lot of clients, doesn't mean that's going to be the best thing for your business growing long-term or the most profitable thing. In fact, you're probably going to get to a point, which everyone gets to in the agency world. We got to that point where you take on lots and lots of clients because it's easy money they're giving to you. And then you realize two, three months in that we took on a bunch of wrong clients. They're a huge pain. Um, <laughs> we can't make them happy. There, there's very little upside in this deal. Plus, they're also missing a lot of things. This is the other critical piece that agency owners or marketers don't think about when they're taking on clients that can only afford $1,000, $2,000, $3,000 a month is the businesses that aren't successful yet don't have you know, $500,000, a million, $2 million, $5 million, $10 million run rates. They don't have all of their stuff figured out, meaning that they're still, if you're a new business, you're still trying to figure out the right price for your product who your ideal customer is. You're still, re, you know, maybe you're tweaking your website and your funnels. You don't know your your brand identity, your voice. You don't have branding guidelines. You're, you're missing all of these critical components that a successful business needs to have in place. So what ends up happening as the digital marketer or the agency or whoever you are in that relationship is you can do an exceptional job. You can drive the most profitable, the best traffic, have the best retargeting ads, the best sequence. Everything you do can be great. But if the pricing doesn't make sense and the, they don't have user-generated content, the product hasn't been tested. There's all the other things that the business owner doesn't have in place yet. You're going to fail and the business owner is going to blame you, not themselves. They're either going to ask you to help them with it or they're going to try to fire you or nickel and dime you because it's not making money. So when we made the switch from taking on anybody that wants to pay us to a very, very specific type of client that we're charging the most for, everything improved. Our client satisfaction improved, our results improved, our retention improved, we are more profitable, we work less. Literally across the board, every metric you track was improved by getting rid of the low quality clients, the businesses that are just getting started, that haven't seen success success yet, and just focusing on already successful businesses that are growing rapidly 
and really need the, the, the specific marketing expertise that you can deliver and they're willing to pay for it. You just described about a two-year span of my clients. Yeah, and it, it's for, for a lot of people, it can be way more than two years. You know, some people it can be there, it can be 10 years and they, they don't figure it out or they, they know it, but they're not. What's, what's even scarier is people that know what I just said, but they don't want to make a change because they're scared to not get the price they're looking for. So a lot of people have a fear of if I ask for 5000 a month, they're going to say like the people need to realize the worst thing that people say is no, they're, they're, that's the worst thing that can happen. If you go into a, you know, a client negotiation and say, this is what our monthly retainer is. We charge 5,000 a month at minimum or 10% of ad spend, whichever is higher. And we do this because, you know, we're the best at what we do. We, you know, deliver results. We need to be incentivized. We're not going to be the lowest quality option, lowest price option, really the highest quality. A lot of people are scared to do that because they don't want to get turned down. They don't want to hear no's. And, um, you know, unfortunately, that mindset caps your business. You're, you're not going to grow past a certain point because you just can't, your volume play then. And volume plays, especially in a service-based business, are very, very hard to scale because you need to keep bringing on human capital to handle those accounts. Each one of those individuals is a pretty you know heavy fixed cost. So it's very, very hard to do that. Whereas our model is incredibly lean right now. We only take on a handful of clients and we charge you know, anywhere from ten to $35,000 a month minimum on a retainer basis, plus ad spend, plus a percent of ad spend, and potentially a revenue kicker. Um, and that allows us to be really lean. It allows us to do really, really high quality work because we're only working with a handful of businesses. And it ensures that we can be very, very profitable and scale and bring on really, really high quality people, like A level, you know, A A level talent, because we can afford to pay them instead of having to only be able to afford, you know, low quality work, kids that are just out of college that aren't really skilled or talented. Now you got to train them, you got to handhold them. There's a lot more quality control. It just there's this ripple effect across your business if you become a volume play in a service based business. Max, when I came back to my business after having my twins in early 2015. I had no clients and I was a new Infusionsoft certified partner. I wasn't confident in my rate. I was charging $50 an hour, which is very low for an Infusionsoft certified partner. So when I was putting out proposals on Upwork, because I was still getting all my work through Upwork, I was winning just about every project I put out for because I was an Infusionsoft certified partner and because I was charging the same as the other contractors who weren't. So all of a sudden, within a month, I had 30 new con- thirty new clients, which is, uh, it's scaring me just to think about it. Like I would never want to go back three years ago to that, to that point. So I ended up having to hire the contractors that I was bidding against. And the, it un- unfortunately wasn't the end of me charging that rate, but the, one of the final straws was that I was on vacation with my family. And there was a client who had had tremendous scope creep. And the way the way that he was getting more and more was he, while I was on vacation, he actually sent me a text message with a suicide threat if I didn't help him. Yeah. My jeez. Listeners, charge your worth. Do not be worried about competing with other people. Yeah. Instead, look at your look at your quote competition yeah. as referral partners and get really clear on who you want to work with. And if somebody comes to you that's not yours, find a partner that you can send that person to. 
But what I also noticed is that when I was charging that amount, just like you were saying, Max, like my clients were actually in scarcity mode. They had no idea what they were wanting. They were messaging me, slacking me, texting me at 10, 30, 11 on nights and weekends. Can you build out this funnel for me tonight? Because they just came up with a brand new idea and that's not how you're going to be successful. John Lee Dumas says it perfectly. His definition of focus is follow one course until success. It took me three and a half years to get that into my thick head. You know, I couldn't be launch hopping. Is that what it's called? Like going from one product to the next. Yep. No, it's 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 a very, uh, very real threat for business owners, especially on the the agency side of it. And you know, unfortunately, it takes it takes people in our world getting to a point where they're literally on the verge of either bankruptcy or just going crazy to realize that like I made a, a bad decision going this route. So what you said in you know a few minutes ago is really important which is you know we I've had multiple companies that had lots of employees and it is so easy to hire people like hiring and when, when I say easy I mean relatively to what I'm about to say like hiring obviously hiring the right people is challenging there's a lot of work that goes into it but you know getting somebody to agree to work for you is a relatively easy process compared to firing so it is a lot easier to offer people a job and money and bring them onto your company than it is to go into somebody's office and say, Hey, we got to fire you. Like it, it takes a lot more planning, a lot longer. If you have, you know, if they're W2 and you have, you can have severance packages, you can have, you know, contract, there's a lot of issues that come with that. So what happens with a lot of people is they, on the, on the volume play side or the, they're charging lo- a little amount, they staff up rapidly. So all of a sudden you get 30 clients, 40 clients you are like, well, I need a lot of work. So I'm going to go out there and hire a bunch of people. And all of a sudden you hire you know, eight, 10, 15, 20 people, you now got to onboard all those people. You got to train them. You got to bring in managers. You got to put systems in place. It's a, a lot, a lot of work. And then if those 30 clients after month two and month three, all of a sudden they run out of money because remember, if you're working with people that can't afford to pay what you're worth, they could go out of business tomorrow. If, if you're dealing with a client or a company where they're nickel and diming you at a thousand dollars a month or $2,000 a month, it is very likely that six months from now, they're not going to be in business. They make one bad bet, one bad investment, they're they're done. And now they're no longer a client from you, even if you have a contract with them. They're, they, they don't have money, they can't pay you. So now you got to go and you got to fire people. You got to downsize. You got to you know get rid of 10 people, 15 people. That crushes morale your company. And, and there's this cyclical up and down swing. Whereas if you focus on staying very lean and finding partners that are very, very high quality, that you can sub work out to on a project by project basis. It is so much more profitable. You control a lot more of the elements. It's not, you know, they're not on contracts with you. They're not hired for other work. It's literally, hey, we have this client just came on. They need these funnels built. We're going to pay you X for this. By that point, you've already collected the money from the client and now you're collecting the spread. It's it's a lot more control, a lot less risk. And that's what we do at, at Unicorn. We obviously you know, still do a lot of stuff internally. I, I still run a lot of campaigns for our high level projects, but we have people that are the, are better than me at SEO, at native advertising, at funnel building, at email marketing. You know, we, we know the best of the best and unfortunately for, you know, for, for better or worse, it depends on whose perspective you're looking at. A lot of people who are very talented 
don't charge their worth. This is what we're talking about here, but there's an arbitrage opportunity for agency owners because you can find very talented people who are just not confident in their skills yet. And I can recognize talent. They might not know how talented they are yet. They're just getting started on a track record. So they're totally undercharging what their value is. And you can get an incredible deal. They're happy because they're getting paid um, you know, well. They don't have to sell anything. You're doing that all for them. They just do what they love. You're charging the ultra premium because you know the quality of the work is there and the caliber of the client's there and everyone's happy. And so that model is much more profitable and scalable than, than trying to build a, a very personnel-heavy, volume-based agency early on. Did you know when you were young, like, and I mean middle school, that you wanted to be an entrepreneur and have your own business? Yeah, so I'm, I'm a unique case because I, I come from a family of entrepreneurs. And uh, I, I like to talk about this a lot when I, when I do podcasts or interviews because it is, it is unique. And I, I, it wasn't until probably the last few years that I've realized how lucky I am. Um, like my, my grandfather's an entrepreneur. My dad's an entrepreneur. They, they both built some incredibly large companies, international companies, um, one of which is the, the largest privately owned commercial real estate company in the world called NAI Global. And so I, I lived through that. I saw the ups and downs. I saw the benefits of that, the negatives of that. But that's like all I knew was that that's what you do. Like I, I didn't, I wasn't exposed to, you know, the the dad or the grandparent or like, you know, goes to work at nine, comes to home at five, is off on weekends. Like I just didn't see that world, at least at home. And so by the time I got to, you know, middle school and high school and started to think about what I want to do with my my life, that was never, you know, an option. Like I just never I never understood how, and again, this isn't like, I'm not making it seem like it's an insult or a negative thing, but just from my perspective, I can never rationalize my head doing something for 50 to 60, 50 to 60 years of my life, Monday to Friday, nine to five, where I didn't have any control. I didn't get to say why we're doing this, what the goals are, what the long-term vision is that I didn't love doing, that I didn't have a passion for, and that I didn't have tremendous upside in. And for a lot of people, that's, that's, you spend almost your entire life doing something that like the biggest chunk of your time is working and you're, 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 you're building somebody else's dream. You're building somebody else's vision. You don't have the level of control that you have as an entrepreneur. Now, the, the argument for that on the other side is, well, there's a lot more stability. There's a lot less risk. There's more consistency. There's retirement, all that, that angle of it, which used to be the go-to argument for why I would take the corporate job and the nine to five job. What's crazy though, is that, you know, in 2008, 2009, like that level of security and stability that we all thought we had as nine to five workers got evaporated. You, you saw companies that were multi-billion dollar companies that had pensions and 401ks and all kinds of retirement plans go out of business. And when that happens, all of a sudden you're, you know, your pension for it's all gone, right? If the company goes out of business and it's private, it's, you know, the 401ks are private, you don't have that stability. And so when I look at it, I say, well, I can either go and do something I don't love that I don't have control over that I now don't even have like security in job security in, or I can do what I love every day, follow my passion, build my own future and have the, the upside that I own and control hundred percent of. 
that I don't have to worry about some other person making a stupid business decision and ruining my future, which is what happened in Wall Street. It's what happened in the real estate world. Like a group of people made very, very stupid bets that cost millions of people their job security and their future. And that's why now you have, you know, 85 year old women working as baggage clerks at Whole Foods um, for that. So it, it's that, that's my rant on <laughs> on like why I think the the nine to five model is 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 interesting if people still take that nowadays and uh and why i can never do it as just from my perspective yeah my mom has actually asked me a couple times because we've had our we've had plenty of financial struggle in the last five years and she asked me a couple times well don't you think it's time to go back and look for a real job and then my my 12 year old son had has asked me well do you think you can find somebody that you can do what you do for like work for them full time so that you get paid what you get paid now for eight hours a day, 40 hours a week. So I had to explain to him that that's not how it works. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's not how it works. No, absolutely not. I mean, I went to school to be an interior architect and I I know what I got paid. I mean, I got paid about 40000 a year. So what's that? About $20 an hour. And I know that my billable rate was $125 to $200. So I had to explain that to my son, that it's not going to be my billable rate that I'm getting paid full time. Somebody else is going to make that money. And thankfully, or eventually he got it. He he began to understand that. But I can't even imagine. I, I actually lost my job at the end of 2008. I was designing schools in Ohio, which is where I live. And they, I'm outside of Dayton, Ohio. So our GM factory, DHL, like we were really hard hit around here. And the, all school improvements had to be approved by bond issues, like the, the tax issues. And the, the community stopped passing them. So there was no more schoolwork to be done. So I unfortunately fell victim to the recession myself. But I can't imagine going back. I was actually just thinking about that this morning. You know, what I miss about working a nine to five job, and it was never nine to five because you had to account for commute. I don't miss people watching when I go to use the restroom to see how long I'm gone. I don't miss people like looking at their watch when I come in or leave. The only thing I think I really miss is like the potluck lunch that we would have, but there's ways around that. I mean, find an entrepreneur group and do a potluck. Yep. It's, it's a interesting, but it's, it's perplexing to me. And and I guess, you know, again, I realize the fact that I'm, I'm unique and I I kind of have blinders on because this is all I've I've done. You know, I try like in high school and college, I worked plenty of crappy jobs. I think everyone should work, you know, a, a deli job, a service job. Like I work, you know, in a, a, a deli from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. for multiple summers. And uh, I think it's important to understand what like an 80-hour work, like a manual, like on your feet work week is like. I think everyone should have to do that. That That's super important to build character and ethic and and understand what it's like to truly have to do work. And um, so I think that's important. But at the same time, I just, it's so hard to understand how I could, how I could ever just, wake up every morning, Monday to Friday and like not be happy, like not be excited to do what I got to do that day to be. It's like when you're going to school, right? When you're in high school and middle school, you're like, okay, I'm looking at my clock. Okay. Last class. It's almost over. It's almost over. And I feel like that's the way it is for work for a lot of people. It's like, 
I can't wait for this to be over so I can go do this. Like this is just a means to an end. I got to go through this, you know, eight, nine hours so I can go home and do things I actually enjoy doing. And, and for me, it's the exact opposite. It's this is like what I love to do. I, I'm so blessed and fortunate that I get to do what I love to do. I get to work with my my best friends. I get to work from home. I get to, you know, there's all these these benefits. But at the same time, it's what I, what I want to make sure people don't think is that, it's people think that's easy because that's the other misconception that uh, the media, I don't want to sound like the, the media, but, but like um, Silicon Valley and TV shows and some things have made it seem like there's this golden world in Silicon Valley, New York and Boston and major cities where you go there with an idea and somebody writes you a check for $5 million and you get this fancy office and you live this elaborate life. I, I think some people have that like, thought about that's what it's like to be an entrepreneur, that you're an overnight success, all these people that all of a sudden became billionaires overnight or millionaires overnight. And the reality is that the the only reason you think that is because you didn't know who that person was for the last 10, 20, 30 years because they were nobody. So the only time you know about them is when they're successful. So you think that they just became successful overnight. The reality is that they've worked every day, not just weekdays, Saturdays and Sundays around the clock, sacrificing everything else to get to that point. And, and that is a truth for every entrepreneur. That's the truth for my grandpa. My grandpa went through it. My dad went through it. I saw it personally over, you know, many, many years of paying everybody else in the company and not paying himself, you know, taking care of everybody else to, to get to the point where he has everything he wants. And the same things for me, it's, you know, for the last 10 years, I've sacrificed, I've borrowed money, I've maxed credit cards, I've done everything possible to scrape and crawl to keep going to finally get to a point where the rewards happen to the point where, you know, now I don't have to worry about those things anymore. But it takes a lot of work and a lot of time uh, to to get to that point where all of a sudden people think you're an overnight success. So it is important for anybody listening to understand that um, it's not something you just decide that I'm going to quit my nine to five, become an entrepreneur and you know, make a ton of money next month or supplement my income next month or two months from now or three months from now. You need to be prepared that it is not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen in the next month or two months that you're going to be working really, really hard for months or maybe even years before you have that huge payoff. But the reality is that if you're doing what you love, it shouldn't matter that much. I love Mondays. Do you love Mondays as much as I do? Yeah, I don't even. The, the funny thing is that it's like a Monday Sunday day, right? Because I work Saturdays and Sundays, so it's not even like it. It doesn't have the same impact as it does for most people, where it's the start of the work week. Because my work week never really ends. Um, I, I do like. I actually like weekends more than Mondays, and not for the reason that people are listening probably think. I like weekends because it's two days that a majority of my competition and other people out there are not doing anything, that I'm improving my skills, that I'm growing my business, that I'm, I'm doing things to improve my intellect and my skills and my business. Um, and, and that gives me two days every week, you know, eight days every month that I get that gap, that I keep increasing that gap between my competition. So I actually like weekends a lot more for that reason. But Mondays are great too. It's the same thing. People are you know tired, they're lazy, they're not working fully. And, and you're just you know, in the zone because you're, you know, doing what you love. I should clarify. I love Mondays because I can send my all my kids back to school and focus. Oh, okay, on I what love I kids, love. so yeah. <laughs> so I don't have, 
if you ever want to borrow five for a weekend, you might not like weekends as much. I love my kids, listeners. Do not get me wrong. But I love the quietness when everybody is out of my hair on a weekend because it's also when team members and clients are are off doing their own thing and I, I can really get in and focus on my business and not in my business. That's why I love weekends. But with all my kids, that doesn't usually happen because it's always mom something, you know, I need this, I need that, you know, get me more milk, whatever. So I, my husband thinks I'm crazy because he's still working out of the house, but <laughs> every Sunday night I'm like, I'm so ready for Monday. And he's just, Ugh. yeah, he, he's in this, he's um working on, he's a video game developer and he's working on his first game. But in the meantime, he's working full time out of the home. And it's not always the ideal situation for him. Do you think that you'll be able to retire? I don't mean financially. Yeah, not not in the traditional sense. I, I don't think so. Um, it, it just doing nothing is, or I say doing nothing. I mean just like just kind of sitting around and relaxing. It it's fun for like a, a few days, and then all of a sudden you get, and this is even just now. Cause I haven't really taken a vac- me and my fiance haven't taken many vacations in the last few years for, for a lot of reasons, but it's, um, it's very challenging when you have the kind of the mindset of an entrepreneur where you look at, you look at the world very differently and, and instead of just kind of letting the world pass you by and looking at, you know, just that's a car passing by. This is this person doing this, this person doing this, you're looking at like problems and flaws and ways that you can improve things. Like, Hey, wouldn't it be way more efficient if you could do this? Like, wouldn't it be cool to have this type of product, this software, this feature? And that's the way I look at things on a daily basis. And uh, I know it can frustrate my fiance sometimes and, and people sometimes because they're like, just enjoy it. Just, you know, just ignore it. But it's, it's very hard to do that. So I, I don't envision that there would be a point where I would be able to say like, okay, I'm done for the next 30 years. I'm not, we're just going to like hang out and travel and, and do nothing. I think that would be very, very difficult to do. And, uh, and I think it's important to take breaks and, uh, you know, realize the, the, the benefits of all the hard work, but at the same time, I think it should be like intermittent, like maybe you take a few months out of the year at a certain point, you try and transition. So it's, you know, instead of working 12 months a year, maybe you're, you're working, you know, eight months or seven or six months and the other months you're intermittently, you know, traveling and doing things, um, other than, than work. So it's kind of like a partial, a partial retirement. But, um, but again, like I, I don't work, I, I do what I love to do. Like everything I do on a daily basis is super fun. And it's things that I, I would do to like, and have a good time. <laughs> it's, it's as crazy as it sounds. So I wouldn't really be even retiring from anything because I'm not working on a daily basis. I don't think I'll be able to retire. To be totally honest, the five minutes before bed is hard enough. I have chronic idea disorder and I get ideas in those five minutes. So I can't even imagine. I can't imagine an hour a week. Maybe I need to try it. (laughs) But I I just can't imagine because, yeah, it drives my husband crazy because I'll whip out the phone or have to turn on the light to write something down. He got smart though and he bought me a, a book light for Christmas. So now I don't have to get out of bed and yeah, I can, I always have my notebook right there so I can write it down and then try to get to sleep again. But usually it's, it's a little bit of a battle with whatever's going through my head. Yep. It's, um, it's definitely a challenge. 
And I think it's no different that you look at Bill Gates or Warren Buffett or you know the the kind of laundry list of Jeff Bezos or you know people that are billionaires that are incredibly successful and have no need to work anymore. They probably haven't needed to work for the last 20, 30, 40 years, but they do it because like that's their, they're, they're doing something bigger, right? Like what Jeff Bezos is building at Amazon. It's not about making him money and like building a company that makes money. It's about changing the world. Elon Musk, the same thing. You know, he's building companies that are, are genuinely, solving massive problems and impact our entire civilization. He's trying to colonize other planets and he's trying to figure out a fossil fuel crisis and save our planet. Like he, he's working for that, not to just keep making money. The interesting thing with when you start doing that is when you do follow your passions and you work on your passions, you do better work, you work harder. And as a byproduct, you're usually more successful. So what's interesting is the people that are doing their passion, following their passions and, and following their dreams, actually building those companies, end up being the most successful financially because of that that factor. Max, do you have a routine that you follow every a daily routine? <laughs> I, I'm a. Um, we kind of talked about this offline a little bit before we started the call, but um, for everyone that's listening, I I'm a very unorganized person, and I probably need to to work on improving my organization and like kind of writing down tasks and tracking things a little better. But, you know, honestly, I, I kind of just, I have a calendar and people add things to it. It's a shared calendar and I show up where I'm supposed to show up. But for the most part, I just, you know, when I wake up, like I do what I think I should be doing at that point. Like what's interesting to me, what I'm, what I want to do. There's really not a, a consistent structure of, you know, I think some people say, Hey, I wake up at nine every day. I drink a cup of coffee exactly this time. I check emails for 30 minutes. I do this for an hour. I do this for two hours for me. And, and I, I, maybe I'm unique or, or different, but like my, it's hard to do that because every day is different. There, there's so many external variables and it's, it's contextual that, you know, if I get 200 emails tonight versus a thousand on another day, like I shouldn't have just a block of time for checking emails. Like some people do. Because it might take me five minutes to do it each day, or it might take me an hour to do it each day. And that throws off the entire rest of the daily schedule. So it, it's interesting to me that people that have like very, very specific schedules of and routines, how that works, because every day is different. The um, the, the situations are different, the timing's different, the the season's different. There's just there's so many other variables out of your control. So I kind of I have goals that I set for myself, both like short-term and long-term goals. And each day I'm working to achieve those goals. So whatever that looks like for that day to move closer to accomplishing that, that's what I'm doing. But, um, but in terms of a daily structure and, and, you know, broken down like hour by hour or minute by minute, I, I've never been that person and I probably never will be. No, I don't have a structure either. I have started blocking out my calendar so that, you know, there's specific times during the week when I have coaching client calls or, or Infusionsoft client calls or podcast, you know, podcast interviews. But outside of that, my day is very relaxed. I, my alarm is set on my phone, but most days I ignore it. Um, I guess I'm, we're fortunate as entrepreneurs that we can do that. And if I have an appointment in the morning, then I know I need to get up, but most days I don't have one that's that early. 
but that's a, I have the kid alarm too. So they won't let me sleep that late. Yeah, that's true. You do. Yeah. I have a bad habit. I actually started it in, I think I started in, it's been a long time that I've been doing this and it's an, it's almost like an OCD thing now that I do, but I was back in college. I used to love the feeling of like waking up and knowing you still have like an hour or two hours, like waking up early and you're supposed to wake up. So I used to start, I would set like two or three alarms. So my first time I woke up would actually be like well before I go back to sleep and that like feeling of being able to go back to sleep. And I'm sure you could talk to like a sleep doctor and they would say, that's, that's probably terrible for you. You're probably supposed to get up, but that's kind of stuck with me. So I, I still do that to this day where like I'll set an alarm for like 6am and I'm, there's no way I'm ever going to have a 6am, but, <laughs> but I'll set it and then I'll, I'll, I'll turn it off and there's another one ready to go for the actual time I should be getting up. It's um, like a, just something that has stuck over the years that um, probably isn't isn't great and, and isn't super efficient, but it's it's uh, what I do. That's so funny. In my mastermind group, I just need to share this. And listeners, I will include a link to this in the show notes, which you can find at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP278. In my mastermind group, we use a, a app called Habit Share, and we're keeping each other accountable for for our daily habits. And a couple of the mastermind members are trying to get up at five and six every morning. And I'm like, yeah, have fun with that. That's, that's never going to make it. I mean, my biggest feat right now is taking soda out of my daily consumption. I'm a month in. It's amazing. Coffee's next. We'll see how that goes. Listeners, do not do both at the same time. That's bad news. Yeah. Max, this has been absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for joining me on the Positive Productivity Podcast today. Where can listeners find you online, get to know more about you and and everything that you're doing? Sure. So um, unicorninnovations.com is our primary website that has info about our company, our courses, our resources list. It has my info on there. So that's a great place to, to go and check out. You can also, you know, follow me on Facebook. So Maxwell Finn, you can, um, you know, follow my, my public figure page. You can shoot me a friend request. Um, I don't, don't accept every friend request. So if you don't have mutual friends, you might not, might, might not accept it, but, um, but definitely follow my public figure page and check out unicornovations.com and our courses and all that good stuff there. And if there's anything that I can do to help you with your business, um, you know, with Facebook ads, with anything, feel free to, to reach out to me and ping me. There's, I think my email's on the, the Unicorn Nation's website, so you should be able to reach out to me that way. Fabulous. Thank you so much. And I know I'm going to be checking out a few of your courses as well, especially the Google AdWords. I don't want to go through another $800. That would be bad. <laughs> that one's coming this month, so we'll definitely be, able, be, uh, be sure to let you know when that's available to the public. Fabulous. Thank you so much. Do you, Thanks, do you have a last piece of parting advice or a golden nugget that you can offer to listeners? Sure. I think there's, there's two things that I, I can end with. One is it's been a reoccurring theme to this conversation, but do what you love. It, it's, it's various, it's a very simple piece of advice, but very few people actually follow through with it. And so what I ask people is if, if you wake up on Monday morning or if somebody asks you to go to work on a Saturday, if your first instinct is, Oh, like, I don't want to do that. Like if it's a negative feeling, you're doing the wrong thing. You need to figure out what you're passionate about, what you love doing, and find a job or a career or a path or a journey that, whether it's as an entrepreneur or your own business owner or a company to work with, that you wake up excited to do that for the day. 
like you're genuinely excited to go to work and and build things and help clients and work on things like that that should be your your mindset um and then the, the, the second thing would be more specifically for entrepreneurs, people building their own, their own businesses uh, on the e-commerce world. This is a big mistake a lot of my students make. And um, so I figured I would share it here. Don't, don't just chase money and, and build things purely to make money. So a lot of people right now are, they're trying to drop ship. They're trying to do print on demand. They're, they're basically just, they're, they're looking at trending products and trying to piggyback on them so they can make a quick dollar. And, and there's too many people doing that right now. It's so saturated. And the reality is that there's a very, very, very small percentage of the people doing it that are actually going to make hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. And I know the people that are making the millions of dollars and they have been doing this for 10 years, 20 years. I mean, they've been in the product space, in the marketing world for a very, very, very long time. They have massive teams. They have massive resources, both financially and time-wise and, and connection-wise. So it's it's my rule of thumb here is that like you can test things in print on demand, but your goal should be to build a company, to build a store, a brand, a business that you can add products to expand the product line. You can have an identity inner voice. It's not just, you know, a random dropship product today. We're going to sell this, this drone and tomorrow we're going to sell a fidget spinner and next month we're going to sell this. That's not a sustainable way to grow a business online. And it's going to be very, very difficult for you ever to do that profitably. So those are the two kind of on the wide spectrum of, of things that I like to share with people. Today's episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast is brought to you by the Positive Productivity Pod, created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success without burnout. The pod offers weekly group coaching sessions, online courses, a private member community, and tons more. To learn more about the pod and to sign up, visit positiveproductivitypod.com. See you on the inside.